BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello and welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman and... My guest today is Juliana Margulies, who just wrote a beautiful story, a beautiful memoir, which goes through her own childhood and through to the parent that she is today. Creating a cohesive life story, making sense of your past, is actually one of the most important things that we can do as parents. And in fact, scientists have found that the way we feel about our past, our understanding of why our parents or other caregivers may have behaved as they did, what different experience we have had impacted our development and our who we are. These are the things that our stories are made of. And when you can make sense of this life narrative, the way we do when we actually just sit down and write words, to communicate our experience to someone else. And of course, in this case, Juliana Margulies is a public figure who's beloved and we want to read her story, but that doesn't mean that everybody can't have this experience because it's such a revealing thing to do. And when it comes to how our children will be attached to us, what our parenting style is, what our relationship will be like, it's not important what our experiences were and how they affected us. It's that we've made sense of them. And from making sense of them or through making sense of them, we've built emotional strength, resilience, adaptability. These are really important stories to tell. So this conversation is about Juliana's story, but this is also to inspire you guys to sit down and write those stories. And this was a really enjoyable episode for me because Juliana, who's been on before, is also a very beloved friend. And she really just puts herself out there and is honest and truthful as a mom and as a woman. If you enjoy this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and if you have time, write a little review. And of course, DM me on at Raising Good Humans podcast on Instagram. Being nicknamed the Sunshine Girl felt like a badge, a badge of honor, right? Because right. if you're 
if you're the person who brings sunshine into a room, then everyone wants to be around you because you're making them feel better. But what a responsibility to put on a child. And I don't think for a moment my mother had any idea that it was anything but beautiful. But as I got older, I really, and really writing the book, I suggest even if you're not going to publish it, it's really important to write or to try and remember yourself as a child and your feelings as a child, because they're deep inside you and they come out at the weirdest times as an adult when you get hit with things that you aren't prepared for. And then you react in a way that you're, it's like a sense memory. This is how I know how to react. So therefore this is how I will react rather than, oh, I've been here before. I understand where I'm at. Let me, let me step back. And before I react, look at the situation and see what is the proper reaction here rather than self-regulation that takes decades. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, I think we're always learning. And I think one of the, the most beautiful gift to me, having had a child is to see the world through his eyes, because as we get older, I think so often that world gets forgotten and, and you sort of don't have the time. I remember once a friend of mine and I were walking, this was years ago and she had, I was single, no kid, whatever. And she had a maybe 15 month old in the stroller and we were in Santa Monica. It's so funny how memories just stay with you. And The little boy was, he was leaning out of his stroller because the shadow his stroller was making on the sidewalk was fascinating to him. Mm -hmm. And I was watching it and really enjoying it. And her reaction was, what's wrong? Why why are you leaning out? What do you, you know, she immediately got nervous. She was a new mommy and, you know, and I, yeah. And I was in a place where I wasn't a mom. So how could I say, oh, he's just, just let him, just let him enjoy the shadow. Mm -hmm. We're always in such a rush, we forgot the shadow, like what fascinates us about nature and the way the sun can shine and then cast this incredible shadow and that we never look at it, but children look at it. And I've, I've never forgotten that. So when I had my own kid, I remember just sort of mentally, and I probably had my own kid 10 years later. And I just mentally said to myself, always let him enjoy the shadows and watch them with him. Watch the way the water ripples, which might seem boring to an adult, because that's to me, the innocence and the beauty of childhood. And if you are awake enough as a parent to be let into their vision of it, you actually get a lot of healing from it. Um, And I know it sounds corny, but I really think it's these small moments in life that we're not taking in the way a child does. And so that's, you know, when I was a kid, my survival mechanism was to live up to the moniker sunshine girl. If I make people happy, the bad stuff will go away. The hurt, the anger, the anxiety, the feeling out of place, the the instability of my childhood. Living in the past doesn't help unless you've sorted that past out, right? That's, that's it. That's it. Unless you've sorted that past out and then. Right. And labeling to go back to your 
it's such an interesting thing because don't we all as parents label our children, right? It, even if we don't verbally say it, we say it mentally. They have a message. Yeah. And as I was writing the book, I realized how significant that nickname for me was growing up and how important it was for me never to put my son in a category. I loved Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, because she said she named it Becoming because she was so sick of hearing people say to little kids, what are you going to be when you grow up? Rather than just let them become who they are going to be. They don't know yet. We're all figuring it out. The same way you and I are still figuring it out, even though we're parents and we have a career. And I still am wondering what's next in my own development in my kid's life, right? We're still becoming until the day we die, hopefully. If you choose to examine your life. If you choose to. Well, I remember we had a conversation, which this brings me back to the book. And also that it's such a good exercise to write your story down of your life from the beginning because of where it brings you. Yeah. P.S. I've never done it, but... (laughs) But I, life isn't over, <laughs> but I really, you know, those moments when you sit down and write your story, we know this from research and from psychological theory and from you just did it. So you're living it. I feel like you've come to terms with your parents in a yeah. peaceful way, which doesn't mean that you can't also acknowledge the, mis- the many mistakes and missteps that in your case, led you to a beautiful place, right? but not an easy path. And I was thinking, but then we should go back to, to Sunshine Girl, but the label of Sunshine Girl. But I was thinking, we don't need to carve out these perfect childhoods. I mean, you had, by all developmental accounts, <laughs> a lot of not great events, yeah. like cumulatively so many moves and divorce and financial stressors and emotional stress. Like they're just list them there. There were many, I'm not breaking any trusts here because people can read this, but yeah, not that you needed to have the perfect childhood to get to a place of growth and success, whatever success means to you. It's that you examined it, came to terms with it and were able to forgive and move forward. So I think that message for parents to think about not only doing that for ourselves, but also what what a gift it is in our parenting that like we can have as we ourselves do all the time, mistakes (laughs) as we're raising our kids and know that the goal isn't about getting all of that perfect. It's about examining it and making amends and coming to terms with and growing. And I feel like you captured that quite beautifully. And then you took Sunshine Girl and made it into like an authentic identity that isn't unhealthy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, I, I do think, I think forgiveness is such a powerful tool to have in your tool shed because it's really hard to live in a toxic place, right? So to to have a mentality that feels angry all the time and pushing it down, suppressing that anger 
only manifests itself in other ways. And I feel incredibly lucky that I was able to confront my parents at different times in my life. And I write about this in the book. And with my mother, it was in my 20s. With my father, it was when I was 40 and pregnant. And But both of them, I mean, I, and I have to give them credit because both of them acknowledged their faults and what they put me through. And also let me see what they were going through. Because I think so often children put their, you know, you put your parents on a pedestal. Your parents are your everything. And they control everything you want to do, you know, they, there's, they, they bring the food to the table. They drive you to school. They, they are, you know, they bring you joy or anxiety or (laughs) pain or all of it. And so to be able to have had these conversations with both my parents and for them to say, you're right. I'm sorry, forgive me, but know what I was going through allowed me in as an adult to see their journey and understand it. Once you can understand the problem, you can get beyond the problem. But if you can't understand where that stuff is coming from, how do you heal? And how do you come to a place of forgiveness, right? How, how do we forgive? Forgiving is, it's very hard. And, it, and sometimes I think it's a lot easier to just stay angry. And I've seen it in relationships I've been in. Oh, it was much easier to play the victim and be angry all the time. <laughs> I know how to do that well. How do you change your narrative in your head? And the place to start, of course, is who are you really? And then if you go from there and you go back and you start writing out, okay, this happened to me at this age. This happened to me at that age. This, wow, now I see it. Wait, that was messed up. Did I ever talk about that? Did I ever confront that? Did I ever, why did that happen? And then you start unraveling this incredibly long knotted ball of yarn that you've been you know, rolling into a ball since you were born. And it allows you, once you've unraveled it and you see this sort of long life and where you've come from and where you want to go to, it gives you the freedom to start fresh, to be honest with you. And I feel like that's, that's what enabled me ultimately to have the life. That's why the subtitle of the book is an unexpected life. I never in a million years expected to have this life that I have. And I'm, you know, and when I say that, I'm not talking about career success or financial success. I am talking about truly feeling at peace. And by the way, I'd be lying if I said that it really does help not to worry about my mortgage or putting my mother in an assisted living facility the best I can find because I can afford it. You know, like... Those are things that just make me cry for joy. I feel so grateful that I had financial success because now I I don't worry about those things. So I, I do, I feel like I'm in a place now where I have both, thus the unexpected life, right? This incredible luxury of riches, which is a life partner that I found out of a miracle, truly who has my back at all times. Like I, I think as a kid, I always felt like who's got my back. I I think that's why there's a chapter in the book where I write about this horrible experience I had as a 15 year old, when I went to be a mother's helper and the, the, the family was just so nutso um, and scary. And 
I made it two of the six weeks. Um, right, right. And my father, when my father came to pick me up for my one weekend off and I just was crying my eyes out and saying, this is, I've never been so lonely. This is so sad. When he said to me, that's it. You're not going back. That house has weird energy. It's not healthy. We're going to go and pack up your stuff and get you out of there. That was the first time because I never lived with my father and I only saw him on vacations and happy times. I never felt like I had someone in my corner that way. So it reminds me of that feeling I had when I was 15 of him taking care of me that way, which he didn't do often. My father didn't take care of me emotionally as a child. That was not our relationship due to circumstances, not because he wasn't a caring, loving man, because he really was. But, you know, when you're living with your mother and you're on a different um, continent, (laughs) your father, you know, and you only see him for vacations, your relationship is really limited. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I had primary time with my mom and then was with my dad's like summer, my dad's, I was with my dad's summer and fun times and shopping times and play times, just like, you know, like not the business of taking care of. of Right. Right. It's in a parent relationship. It's so interesting because Karen, my son is having the life I always dreamed about, you know, and, and, and I do write about that in the book too, because I do worry about standing in the ways of his struggle because I think struggle is also what got me to the life I now have. And I think it's a, right. It's a very slippery slope as parents, how much we aid and how much we allow them to help themselves. Well, like Um, when your father rescued you, that was an opportunity to show his caregiving. But if the same circumstances were happening to Kieran, it's not the same. The, the weight is different because rescuing a child who has a pretty clear path yeah. is potentially more damaging. Whereas rescuing a child who you've never shown that you are, you have their back is healing. Right. Right. Gosh. And that's why you are a doctor and I'm not. Right. <laughs> no, but no, I, I mean, that's very exactly. I think you and I have talked about this before as a parent, both Keith and I are very A type personalities and no. <laughs> it's no Juliana. And it seems to us, I don't quite know yet, but at least so far, our son is a B type personality. Yeah. And it's really interesting <laughs> for me to stop myself. I have to stop myself because in my head and in my experience, I think, well, my way is better. So let me show you my way (laughs) rather than allow him to figure it out his way. And I've really been paying attention to that, especially as he's now a teenager. I can't believe that teenager, but now he's a teenager and, and stepping back from getting his backpack ready for school, making sure everything's organized you know, does he have the right this? Does he have the right that to saying to him, do you have everything you need? Did you look in your backpack? And there's, there's been moments where he, you know, has called me from school. Oh, I forgot my mitt. And I said, okay, so can you borrow someone else's, you know, and you know, he's left-handed. So of course there's no, no left-handed mitts around in the gym, but, but those kind of go, well, you won't forget it next week. Right. And he goes, right. I won't. And, and I, 
it was so hard for me not to look at his schedule and see what he needed. But if I, if I don't take a step back, how's he going to survive in the world and figure it out for himself? And I realized in just that one little instance of his mitt, the next two weeks, he never forgot anything. Had I put that in his bag, because I knew that on Fridays he had baseball, he would have been forgetting things all week long. But that does go against your nature because you're so organized. Right. Well, just separately, you came from... I came from type C. You came from... I was like, I don't know what that other... My mother was so... Right. So, right. My mother was so disorganized and just... Everything was in a chaos. It was just chaos. You, you know, not being able to find a anything. Where's the where are the garbage bags? Do we have enough of them? Do we have? We ran out of toothpaste. What do you mean? There's no more toothpaste. You, you didn't buy toothpaste. Like, why wouldn't you get the backup toothpaste? Right. Like it. Like I. It just. You know, the silverware drawer had no distinctions. It was knives, forks, and spoons all in one. I wanted. I'm separation partitions that said knives belong here. <laughs> I love something pea touched myself, but it is also like what is like your child's comfort level with disorder. And he can be a little more type B because his world is so organized. His the basement has 50 extra rolls of toilet paper and there won't be that chaos. That won't be his life. So he can have space to forget his mitt, remember it the next couple of times because he wasn't rescued, but also know that there's space for a learning curve. Like if you forgot your mitt, you know, that could have been the end of that. Yeah. And, and what comes from that, which is so interesting, which I'm, I'm learning is the surprises I keep getting with who he is. These joy. Like he can still su- survive and thrive without having the same temperament. Right. And that his thinking capacity is so much bigger than mine and the way he sees the world and, and just the way his brain works, I go, Oh, allow him to be him and look at those strengths. Cause those aren't my strengths. So why am I focusing on the organizational strengths? You know what I mean? That's the ideal place to be as a parent with a 13 year old is okay. I can, you're not leaving. You're just stepping back. I'm stepping back. I'll always guide and I'll always be there to ask questions. And of course, to, I think, especially teenagers need boundaries. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of boundaries. I feel like it just helps them stay safe and yeah, but, but I do realize, especially after hearing that speech, I thought, man, you're doing fine. I'm going to let go and watch you with love and guide you and give you boundaries, but that's it. I don't need to do the rest. You, you got it. Um, and I think that's sort of the gift children give us too, as they get older is that we can sit back. I mean, look, I know that there's, there's a lot of people out there who have really troubled teenagers. And I think it's a really scary world, especially I, I actually, your podcast about teenagers and getting phones, kids getting phones and, the porn sites and all that stuff. Like there is a really scary world out there. And we, 
we definitely have drilled it into Kieran. You know, he got a phone for his 13th birthday. That was his gift. We waited it out till 13, which I highly suggest all parents do. I really do believe because by the time they get it, it's just not a big deal anymore. You know, they kind of don't abuse abuse the privilege because it's like, ugh, great. I waited this long and now I have a phone. At least in Kieran's eyes, I felt like he didn't really, he doesn't seem obsessed with his phone. Um, and I do think it's different for girls and boys, but it is our obligation to check and make sure. Yeah. And, you know, they're going to watch it. They're going to look at it. It's your job as a parent to say, this is why we we don't want you to. You know, and also with boys and girls, it's very different, but you have to guide them. And that's what being an adult, the difference between being an adult and being a child, because I don't care if they're teenagers, they're still children. Of course. And it's not the time to leave. Like you said, it's a stepping back, but you're still there and they need, they need that. Otherwise, what's the point? And it's actually more important right now than ever. It's just, there's a, such a funny time of sometimes thinking like the stepping back is just like, well, I'm out now, but it's not, I'm out now. It's just also they're teaching us and there's a collaboration and. Also- yeah. I mean, I've learned more from Penelope, <laughs> by the way, my God. Yeah. That's why I enjoy my friends, kids, you know, that's, it's, it goes back to looking at the shadow, like listen a little bit. Yeah. This is a really exciting time to listen. Yeah, it kind of is. And, and to see the world through their eyes. And I, I'm so sad for our children that we're, you know, they're inheriting this planet that's on fire. But I also, when I hear them speak and see what they're learning, I have such hope. They care. They care and they really seem capable. So that's kind of, kind of exciting too. We're going to take a little break so that I can tell you about my sponsors. The world is rushing to get back to quote unquote normal meeting up in person again, rushing through to feel like things have opened up. But after this incredibly challenging year, getting back to feeling that normal takes time. It may not happen. It may be a new version of what we used to think of as normal. And if you're feeling overwhelmed by it all, you are not alone. In fact, we know that this year has increased everyone's need for mental health support. And it's crucial that you find the support you need to face those feelings and to move forward. Talkspace has made it so easy to get the support that you need. In fact, they can match you in one day with a licensed therapist, schedule a live video session, and you can be on any device you need to be on. It's totally secured. Talkspace app makes it easy to connect with your licensed therapist on your schedule without having to wait weeks before your next appointment, without having to figure out how to navigate the in-person world. You can go anywhere and take your therapist with you. And as a parent or caregiver, times are so precious and Talkspace works around your schedule at your convenience. Thousands of licensed therapists are available for you to match with. Talkspace therapists are experts in dozens of specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more. This can help you start feeling better. And obviously here at Raising Good Humans, your mental health is the most important thing that you need to do to care for others. 
Start feeling better with a single message. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with the promo code HUMANS. That's $100 off when you use the code HUMANS at Talkspace.com. Now is a really important time to get support. Parenting is full of twists and turns and ups and downs. And there's a brand new podcast that captures all of that excitement. It's called Stroller Coaster. Stroller Coaster is hosted by Faith Saley, Emmy winning host from the CBS Sunday Morning and NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. It's for parents of kids of all ages. It's smart and fun and informative. Stroller Coaster has extraordinary guests with inspirational real life parenting stories, experts who provide valuable, innovative parenting tips, and funny moments every parent can relate to. Stroller Coaster is created by Munchkin, the most loved baby lifestyle brand in the world. So fill up your cup and subscribe to Stroller Coaster, a parenting podcast wherever you get your podcasts today. There's no better time than now to apply for life insurance because it's not just temperatures that are rising. Life insurance rates go up each year. If someone relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, an aging parent, or even a business partner, you need life insurance. To properly provide for families, most people need 10 times the life insurance coverage that they get through their employer. So why Policy Genius? Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. And why compare? Because you can save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies, so that you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. And it is a process. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. And eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week thanks to an award-winning policy option that swaps the standard medical exam requirement for a simple phone call. This exclusive policy was recently rated number one by Forbes, higher than options from Ladder, Ethos, and Bestow. Here's how it works. Getting started is easy. First, you head to policygenius.com, and in minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling for free. And it is so much paperwork. This is such a gift. Policy Genius never sells your information to other companies, and Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees. So head to policygenius.com to get started right away. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Well, hello. I'm Katie Maloney, and you probably know me from a little show called Banner Bumber Rolls. I've been labeled all kinds of things a bitch, a bully, and a mean girl. But there is so much more to a person than what you see on TV. Tune in every Friday as I talk to some of my friends and castmates, celebrities, comedians, medical professionals, and maybe some political figures. And by the time we're done, you're going to love me. You talk a lot about imagining your parents through adults' eyes instead of through kids' eyes and remembering that our kids don't have the 
depth of experience gratefully to be able to take our perspectives in the same way and imagine us as adults and what we're going through, what your parents went through to drive them to the decisions that they made that maybe as a child just seemed downright awful. But like, who was your father, right? Who was he that he made the choices that he made as a kid? Like, what will you talk about the letter that you wrote your father? Because I also just think these are important things to to look back on and think about even just writing a letter to your parent and then getting a letter back. Like, if you're not great at talking, I mean, I'm not saying that was what was going on for you, but for some kids who aren't disclosers or for some parents who have trouble with it, finding a way to communicate through letters. Yeah, I think writing letters is actually much easier in many ways, especially yeah. if you're at all insecure about your relationship with that parent or, or feel, you know, like for me, I, because I lived with my mom and we had a very personal relationship. I knew her so well, I could say anything and we could get in fights and it didn't matter because the I knew it wasn't ever like the, the fight wasn't threatening the relationship. Right. And we're going to make up and it'll be fine. Yeah. But whereas with my dad, who I've always put on a pedestal and I only ever saw him on weekends or vacations. So I never wanted to make our our little bit of time that we had together uncomfortable or sad or, you know, argumentative. I wanted it to be gentle and fun and to leave it in a loving way. So as an adult, it was a much easier for me. And especially once I moved back to New York, when, after I'd been on ER and I moved back to New York, a big part of that decision was also that my father had finally come back from England and was living in the Berkshires. And my mother was also living in the Berkshires. And I had never actually been on the same coast with them at the same time. And I knew, I knew for sure that time was fleeting and it was important that I actually spent time with him. And so because we saw each other more often and I was an adult now, I had written letters to my father when I was 11 and 12 years old, pretty much one a week for two years because I lived in England and he lived in New York. And um, my father kept every single letter I ever wrote. And um, one Christmas he had tied all, found all these letters, tied them up in a big red bow and given them to me as a Christmas gift, thinking really only with the intention of how beautiful they were. And even said in his card that I still have that he gave to me, he said, you know, to read these letters is to know the love of a child. And I sort of put them away. I didn't have time. There were a lot of them. Um, I didn't have time. I was working. And then I got pregnant And it was in that two month phase of my pregnancy when I couldn't tell anyone yet, except me and my husband knew, but no one else knew. And I was organizing and cleaning out my office and I found the letters. And I started reading those letters from this little 11 year old girl. And here's what's amazing about those, why it makes me sad that we don't write letters anymore, we email. First of all, a letter can last forever. Emails get lost, you know, we don't save them. Maybe we do in special folders, but still they're not, you can't hold them. You can't, um, experiencing 
a, opening an, an actual piece of paper and seeing your handwriting when you were 11 and 12 and reading these letters um, gutted me. Uh, what I saw was this child reaching out to her father saying, when am I ever going to see you again? Life here is very difficult. I only included a couple letters. Originally, I had included five of the letters in the book, but it was getting a bit much. <laughs> but, you know, one of the letters said, you know, Rachel, my sister, Rachel, she has the flu and so does mom, but I've been tending to them. And um, it's very rainy here. And now I have a cold and I'm not sure any of us are going to make it to school. Like all these sort of, I was like, who, who's taking care of me? <laughs> You know, Rachel and mom got in a fight again today, but I made them hold hands at dinner to say grace. And now everything's okay. I miss you so much. When can I come home? <laughs> Every letter at the end, I miss you so much. When can I come home? I don't like it here. I want to come home. 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 And then seeing also, I was, we were living in not a great situation and, and my mother just always seemed strapped for money. And definitely the first year we were in England was not the second time that I was in England when I was 11, the living situation was really brutal. And I was sending these letters to Madison Avenue where my father lived in a gorgeous condominium with his wife who was wearing Chanel suits and going out to dinner at Elaine's. And as an adult, seeing this address, I went, wait, what? This is insane. Right. Why was I struggling so hard? And why was that okay for you? And how, how dare you not jump on a plane and come and rescue us? How can this have happened? I don't understand. Were we not important enough for you to come and save? And so I called him and I confronted him. And I think he was really not prepared. <laughs> He was shocked because at that point, our relationship was in such a good place. And he was so happy I was getting married and he lo loves my husband. And he always told me, you know, you're living this fairy tale life, Juliana. And I, and I think he was just absolutely shocked. And um, he wrote me a letter, a nine page letter that explained his side of it. And that he heard my cries, but he didn't realize how bad they were and that he wished he had done more and he should have done more. And that he also felt really strapped and um, explained to me where his life was at and explained his financial status at the time. And it's so funny because when I wrote the first draft of the book, I only put in excerpts of his letter and my editor called me and she said, we need the whole letter. Your readers need the whole letter. And I said, really? I, okay. And I sent her the whole letter and she said, yep, put it in, put that whole letter in. And I think one of the beautiful, most beautiful things he wrote in that letter, it's called the three blind men and the elephant. And it's based on this story that I think we all need to pay attention to, which is there's three blind men and the first blind man says, oh, the, he's holding the elephant's tail. And he says, oh, it's very wiry and bendable. And the second blind man is holding the elephant's trunk and onto his leg and says, no, 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 it's bigger than a tree. It's sturdy and heavy. 
And then the third elephant is uh, the third blind man, excuse me, is is holding the elephant's nose and says, no, no, it's it's you can almost hang off of it. And it's it's bendy and fun. And and my father says, there I was holding on to the elephant's ear. I didn't see the whole elephant. And I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I should have done more. And I just think, who gets that? Like that for me was the biggest gift he's ever given me was that letter. Because to hear a parent, especially when you're about to become a parent yourself, say, forgive me, I should have done more. But also hear my pain and suffering, but allow me to see his pain and suffering without saying, see, I was, how could I have helped? Right, right. Without (laughs) taking, without taking away what you experience. Right. He took full responsibility. And, and I think that really, that solidified such an incredible relationship between he and I in my adult years. And I had him for another um, six years after that letter, after he wrote that letter. And when he died really suddenly as shocking and sad and, and devastated as I was, he died, I, I know it sounds so corny, but he died with only love in our hearts for each other. We had tied it up in a bow of love, our relationship, and I had no regrets. And I think as we get older and watch our parents aging, at least for me, I have to say, I am so grateful to have spoken out to the one parent I had a hard time really speaking my truth to because I was worried he would get uncomfortable or be angry or whatever it was. But thank God I did because when he died, we were fine, more than fine. And the biggest predictor of your, not to turn it into a science, this beautiful story, but the biggest predictor of your relationship with your child and how you parent isn't what your childhood was. It's how you've come to understand it and come to terms with it. Right. And so having that right before you have Kieran and having this place of love and compassion and feeling seen and heard by your father and understanding all of that, it's like you couldn't write it better. Right. You And, and that, I think one of the things it taught me is to, instead of, I don't want to wait until Kieran's 40 for him <laughs> to come right. back and have it. So what I try and do now is really be conscious as a parent to say, I'm really sorry. That was wrong of me. And what I found, what, what happens is in the moment when you apologize after really recognizing, you know what? I shouldn't have yelled. That was not okay. I was busy and he annoyed me and that didn't warrant me yelling, which we're all going to do. We're only human. But when you nip it in the bud by apologizing and saying, I'm so sorry, honey, that was not okay for me to yell at you like that. My response was inappropriate. And I, and I'm, I hope you can forgive me. And what I've seen happen is he goes, okay. And I go, really, I want you to hear that. I'm, I'm truly sorry. It gives also him the ability to apologize to me. Mm-hmm. When he's done something inappropriate and it's over. And there's then, no, yeah, there's no baggage. It's not that you're not like 
is my relationship okay? And that is the gift you gave him because you came to terms with your experience and decided how you want to be as a parent. Right, right. And he's not going to think that those moments where he's not creating sunshine are going to put him at risk of losing someone. Yeah, I mean, don't you think it's always, obviously we always want our children to be happy and joyful, but what I found through writing this book actually is when Kieran's having a hard moment, I'll say to him, I get it, do it, cry. If you need to cry, he hates crying in front of me. So I never know if he does or not, but I always say right now, yeah, it's kind of feels blah. I get it. Especially after, you know, it's pandemic and all yeah. of that and their isolation from their friends, but allowing a child to feel sad, I think is really healthy because the sadness definitely doesn't last as long as it would if you didn't let them feel sad. Right. It's not a 40 year sad. Exactly. Exactly. I so agree with you. And to be afraid that those feelings that you're having should, that there's something wrong with them is a much, much harder on a person, on a child than finding out like, oh, it makes sense that I'm sad right now and I'm allowed to be, and then I'm not going to be. And that's- right. and, and it goes the other way too. So he gets very uh, upset if I'm, he'll say, mom, you have a weird tone in your voice. What's wrong? Like he, he's just, a, he's like, just you, a, like, you also should be in this one note of emotion. Right. And so I say to him, babe, I'm just having one moment, you know, kind of like you had the other day, I'm going to get through it. I'm just feeling a little sad right now. Not the end of the world at all. I just need to feel the feeling and then it's going to pass and it'll be fine. And, and then I say, but thank you for noticing because I feel so often parents are sort of just neglected <laughs> by their children too. You know, like I, you know, kids don't notice things like that. And I, I'm so appreciative when he does, because it also makes me check myself. So when I'm saying thank you for noticing, it's not thank you for, no- for noticing I'm sad. It's me saying thank you for noticing. I didn't realize what I'm feeling is so apparent in my being. And thank you for noticing. Let me go and check in on myself and figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know? It demystifies the Mary Sunshine of it all. Like that right. mom is supposed to be Mary Sunshine. That's what my grandmother called me. <laughs> like, Mary Sunshine? Yeah, she would say, but but then it turned into like a criticism. Like when my I remember my, when my grandfather died, my mom's father, I was like sitting around the room as we were talking about whatever. And my grandmother was crying, everybody was crying. Uh-huh. And I said, on the bright side, like, and then I said, you know, I was, I think I was 18 or something, and I wanted to get everybody to stop crying. And she was like, can it, Mary Sunshine? And it was such a moment for me because I'm like, oh, I'm not doing anybody any favors, forcing them to stuff their feelings away for me to be more comfortable so that they're not crying anymore. Right. I never forgot that moment. And she had never spoken to me like that before. It was like, she also was Mary Sunshine and she was giving me wisdom in that moment because I think she was in pain and finally realized at whatever age she was at the time, like, don't live like that. 
Right. That. And I remember. Oh, my, I love it. Mary it was, Sunshine. It was very, it was an important moment. But I also remember that the first time I got upset in front of Penelope, I started tearing up because whatever had happened pushed right. me over the edge. And she flipped out and was so terrified. And all I was doing in my Wait, life, how old how old was she when that happened? She was eight. Okay. She was eight years old. And I looked at her and I said, I am having feelings. And she was like, moms aren't supposed to have feelings. And I said, well, then I have done you a terrible disservice. Wow. I have feelings all the time. I just know how to manage them. So I'm okay, but I'm bubbling over with some emotions right now. So I'm going to excuse myself, but I definitely realized that I had done a huge disservice because I didn't find that balance between being capable of functioning as a person while still sharing that you're a person. Right. Right. Um, And that that was a big moment for me too. And it doesn't matter who cares what, that I'm a developmental psychologist. I couldn't translate it in real life with my kids because anytime I was going through something, I was like, God forbid they notice that I'm having a bad moment. Even though I would have said to hundreds of people, it's so important that your children understand that there's a rainbow of emotions that we experience and feelings come and feelings go. And there are more challenging ones, certainly, but, but that was all bullshit because in practice, I was like, as long as the kids think that I am super mom. Yeah. And, And then I realized that not only was that not the right choice, but it was hurting her because I was not sobbing. I was welling up. It was not a big thing, but it felt huge to her. And so from then on, I was like, I have done you a disservice and I'm not, you're not going to be my therapist, but you are going to see that there are times in the day when I might not be Mary fucking sunshine. (laughs) Right. Right. Which is, which is so, and of course your kids always want you in a good mood. And of course, and, and I don't, you don't want to stress them out that you're like a ticking time bomb, but there's a balance. Yeah. But what, a, what a world to go into if you've never seen your parents sad or having a bad day. And then you go out into the real world, you know, you go to college, you're going to, you're going to get hit with a bag of shit. Oh my you know, God. If you, have, if you haven't experienced you're gonna that. You're going to be like, why is everyone such a disaster? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it goes to the same. I had a friend who um, had a very controlling Jewish mother. He was, uh, her baby. And, and he said, I'll never forget. He said to me, my mother blew so much smoke up my ass growing up. I have never been able to find my way. Not a gift. I'm shocked that no one else thinks I'm the best thing that ever happened. It's, it's a cruel, it's a cruel thing to be told you're the most important person. Yes. Uh, I think I heard this on your podcast, actually, Lisa. With um, Young, you know, I do listen to raising good humans all the time, but for some reason, my son did very well online school. Uh, it was a thing for him where he was like, there's no distractions. His challenge in life was organization. So suddenly he had everything on Google docs, you know, getting his English folder from his messy locker wasn't never made him late for class. Right. So he really excelled in, in seventh grade. And he was getting A's and he, it's not, he, he wasn't a, a bad student before. He just wasn't, he just wasn't that interested. And he was like, he, he got by just fine, you know, but he was getting straight A's. And I, I would say to him, he'd be like, look, mom, I got an A in Latin. And I'd say, oh my God, babe, 
That is amazing. I would love you just as much if you got a C or a B, but good on you, honey, if it makes you feel good. Because, because I heard someone talking saying, be careful how you praise them when they're doing really well, because then when they're not and they need you the most, they need your praise the most, they're going to feel like failures. Yeah. And you don't want them to think that your love rests, like your love isn't, doesn't rely on the splendor of their accomplishment. Right. And, and it is something that, that, and I talk about this in the book because I was had, I put so much pressure on myself as a student because no one else was right. I didn't, I just was unchaperoned and I watched one sister go this way and the other sister go the other way. And I went, okay, I'm going to become the academic. I'm going to become something. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm whatever it is. I'm going to do really well in school. And I put myself under so much pressure. And when I brought my straight A report card home to my father, when I was 14 and expecting a little pat on the head, like a good little puppy. And he said, you know, these A's would look a lot more impressive if there were a couple B's in there too, honey. <laughs> and I remember being like, what? I, I, I was devastated, devastated. Like, what more do I need to prove to you that I am worthy of being celebrated? And it killed me. And years later, when I asked him, he said, I saw how much pressure you were putting on yourself. And I wanted you to enjoy your high school experience. And so I didn't want you to think that just getting A's was a great thing because I wanted you to loosen up on yourself a little. And that was my only way I knew how to express it. I found a note from my college guidance counselor when I was in 11th grade that said, I wish Juliana could enjoy herself more because she saw it, right? Because I was so hard on myself. And the truth is I missed out on a lot of enjoyment in high school because I was so rigid with myself and so strict. And there's good things to that for sure. Great work ethic, great, whatever. Very on time. Yeah. <laughs> Nominal work ethic. Very on time. Thousand billion hours of practice. There's a lot that goes well with this. There is, but there's also this sense of loneliness and absolute perfectionism is such a curse. It's a curse. And I play it in my head all the time. Even when I'm like making my bed in the morning, no one's here. It's just me and my husband. It has to be, you know, and I go, what are you doing? This is the dialogue in my head. What are you doing? Keith doesn't even notice. Like what? And then you go, well, this is, this is the bleep, blooper over my head. Well, I notice. I like it a certain way. And then I'm like, well, but you have this, this, and this to do, and you're spending your time making the but you know, so it's a strange sort of so I'm now I'm now very aware of it. And Adam. What? <laughs> it's like I just want 12% of that. <laughs> or like 30. But at the same time, I need to learn to just let the bed not be made for a day and know that that's okay. Well, I've COVID probably gave you a little uh, taste of you, you can't do everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Although not that you were doing it, you you are you have always kind of done that, but that at a certain point you have to give yourself some grace. A break. Yeah, I, and also, you know, would I ever do that to someone else? 
would I treat anyone the way I treat myself? I ask myself that all the time. And I think it's a really important thing to ask yourself. If you are someone like me who is wound up in that sort of perfection, a type, would I ever put the pressure on anyone else that I put on myself? Not in a million years. Well, you and that's mother. Would you talk to me like that? Right. And really the voice that we use inside our heads is like, if we could talk to ourselves the way we would talk to our children, like with that level of compassion, they'll hear it in their yeah. subconscious too. Yeah. Just feeding yourself with that grace. I mean, whatever, that's like a life challenge, obviously. It is, but that's what I do love about getting older. You know, I think I'm a better parent at this age than I would have been if I had had a baby when I was 30. I'm just, I'm glad I waited. I'm glad I didn't put all that anxiety onto a kid and that I went through therapy. And, you know, I feel like resources are so much easier to get to now than they were 20 years ago. Meaning and your own emotional resources. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, even just self like for, for every parent out there, even during the pandemic, when we're all freaking out and there was online sessions, you could join, you know, all these things like the world, as we get older and things are progressing. And if you are a self seeker as I am, or trying to at least live a calmer life and not impart the anxieties that I always felt as a kid on my child, I feel like I'm just better older than I was younger. And so I'm happy for him that he gets that. a much calmer version of me than I would have been had I had him when I was younger. Mm. I would love for everyone to have experienced what I learned from writing, just writing, even if it hadn't been published. I learned more about myself as a child, as a teenager, as someone struggling in their 20s, as a young actress, as a you know, a woman like completely floating in the wind, not knowing what was right or wrong or appropriate in a relationship to finding my life, you know, to finding Keith, to having a child, to now seeing my parents older and knowing, you know, well, my father's gone, but knowing like the things that are annoying to me about my mother and trying to help her right now, I am not letting myself go there because I go and you would take anything to have one hour with your dad again. Right. So how about you don't get upset with your mom right now? This is a scary time for her. I really do think there's not enough written about what it's like to see your parents age and, and not enough out there. I, or at least I haven't found it to help them in a, and help yourself without getting emotionally fraught because it can be really challenging because they can be really stubborn or there's so much wrapped up in being an adult parent of a elderly parent, <laughs> but writing this book has completely fleshed out so much stuff for me that I feel like if you even have 10 minutes a day to jot down, maybe just a phone call conversation that you had with your parent or your child, things to remember in a book that you can read later on in life and examine where you were at then. And are you still there? Have you changed? What have you learned? That's the process of, of life, isn't it? Ultimately. <laughs> <laughs>